Hello and welcome back to another Voice of X podcast. If you're not already following me on social media, um, please head on over to Twitter. You can find me there at voice underscore of X and head on over to Parlor. If you don't already have a Parlor account, I suggest you go ahead and sign up for one. You can find me at the Voice of X, all one word. Also, please subscribe to this podcast. I try and get one out at least once a week um, as time permits. Um, so if you listen to the last podcast, we talked a lot about fear and I'm kind of, kind of wanting to, um, well, fear not really don't be discouraged, but I kind of want to head along that same vein. Um, and I want to talk about the current pandemic. Now I know that I've discussed this before, um, but not only do these restrictions not seem to be letting up the lockdowns or whatnot, but they seem to be getting worse depending on what state you live in. I live in California, so, uh, it's kind of ridiculous, um, I mean, if lockdowns work, why do we need another lockdown? If lockdowns don't work, why do we need another lockdown, right? Um, so uh, I think that all of you, uh, I, I think that if all you do is listen to the mainstream media, then you're really only getting one view, and that view is always presented as fact. Well, the fact is that the view that they and many of our leaders are presenting is not actually fact, but is actually only one opinion or a few people's opinion based on the available data. And I want to present to you the other view based on the data as well on things such as masks, fatality rates, and, and, um, and, uh, how it's spread on this on surfaces and whatnot. I think we've kind of all heard these things and, and we've really gotten panicked about it. You see people wearing masks every place they go, wearing gloves, social distancing, everything constantly. They get COVID-19 or if they're, they're afraid that if they do get it, it's just a death sentence. Um, so let's start with masks. And in my opinion, based on the data, and I'm going to show you, talk, tell you some articles here and give you some evidence, read some of these articles or at least clips from these articles to you regarding masks and that they really are not effective. Current studies, uh, as well as studies prior to the uh, politicization and weaponization, I like to say, of the coronavirus really kind of prove that. Um, let's start with the most current study because a lot of the studies that we had leading up to COVID were all based upon influenza. And some of the stuff I read here does talk about influenza and that's important because it's spread kind of the same. It's really, it, well, it's spread the same way. Okay. So, um, but this latest study is a Danish study. It's a study coming out of Denmark on, um, SARS-CoV-2 specifically, not about, it's not, it wasn't done on, um, influenza, but was specifically done on the coronavirus. And it shows the ineffectiveness of masks. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read some clips to you from this, uh, this article. And again, um, I will have links to all of these articles in the description. So go ahead and go read them for yourselves and do the research for yourself. But anyway, in this article, it starts out and it says a high quality, large scale Danish study finds no evidence that wearing a face mask significantly minimizes people's risk of contracting COVID-19. It goes on to explain that they did a random randomized control trial found and they found no statistically significant difference in coronavirus infection rates between mask wearers and non-mask wearers. Uh, so th this clinical trial, it was conducted from April through June and it was done in Denmark, in, in, which is pretty much a largely unmasked area. They're not really wearing masks there. Um, the government recommendations are for social distancing, washing hands a lot. Um, and actually the country started to reopen back in May. Um, but roughly the, 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 the study um, 
used roughly uh, a little over 6,000 participants, almost 5,000, like 4,800 of them completed the study, and they were randomly assigned to wear surgical masks. You've seen those around, um, the, the blue or white surgical masks that people wear, and they were asked to wear them outside the home among other people um, together when they're around other people. And the other half, they were uh, asked to just continue not wearing the masks in public. Well, after the 42 months, I'm sorry, after a month, not 42 months, sorry, after a month, 42 of the mask wearers in the study, which is 1.8% of the total people in the study, they were infected with the virus. These are people who wore, wore masks regularly and as directed. 53 non-mask wearers, or 2.1% of those studied, they ended up getting infected as well. So statistically, this isn't a significant difference between the two groups. That's only a difference of 0.3%. So Statistically, there is zero difference. It, this, it was the same for the people wearing the mask as the people not wearing the mask. So the article says that this suggests these infection differences were a product of chance. Um, and that's what the study authors say. But, but it's just they happened to come in contact with it. The mask did no good and they got sick anyway. Um, it goes on. In the article, um, a Dr. Christine Lane, who's the editor-in-chief of the Annals of Internal Medicine, uh, where the study was published, she told the, um, the New York Times, the research shows, and this is her quote, masks are not a magic bullet. The article then goes on to say the mask, um, it, apparently that... It says that this mass study was one of the largest of its kind ever completed. They've done other ones on influenza, but this one is specifically on COVID. And um, it just didn't find that masks did any good. People without masks got it. People with masks got it. And this kind of jives with um, a lot of a lot of anecdotal evidence we're getting out there. A lot of people coming and saying, look, I social distance. I wash my hands. I wear my mask always around people. I still got COVID-19. So it's really just... Your ch- you're gonna, the chances are you're going to get it, you just might get it, no matter what you do. But wearing masks doesn't help. Really, the best thing you can do is wash your hands, be as sanitary as possible, normal flu season stuff. Now, let's move on to this, uh, the idea that we talked about the surgical masks, but what about um, what about cotton masks? You know, the fabric ones. We see a lot of people wearing those. They're very popular because they're cheap and not everybody has access to surgical masks or even more N95 masks. Um, well, I have an article here. Uh, from the National Library of Medicine on the efficacy of cloth uh, face mask in prevention of novel coronavirus infection transmission. And it's a title is a systematic review and meta-analysis. In the introduction, it says novel coronavirus is believed to be a, um, a tiny and uh, tiny enough particle to penetrate through face mask. Thus, protection offered by cloth mask may be too low. However, the use of a cloth mask in community has been recommended by the United States Center for Disease Control and Prevention and the regulatory bodies of other countries. So it goes on to explain their methods. Um, they went ahead and searched Medline, uh, EM Base, and Clinical Trials Registry, trying to look for information on cloth masks and their efficacy. The results they found were that cloth masks, uh, they showed minimum efficacy in source control than the uh, medical grade masks. The efficacy of cloth mask filtration varies and it depends on the type of material used, the number of layers, and uh, the degree of moisture in the mask and fitting of the face mask. Uh, The conclusion they came up with, cloth uh, face masks have limited efficacy in combating viral infection transmission. So, you can see there, the cloth face masks, those do even less for you than the surgical masks. So, 
Which brings me uh, to, I, I'm going through these quickly because I'm trying to keep this short. I don't want to have to go on for an hour on this. And I have a lot of information to cover here. But um, the, the reality is that masks are neither effective nor safe. Okay, so we're ta- we've been talking about how they don't really do you any good protecting you or protecting others, by the way. And we're going to get into that a little bit right now. Um, uh, in, a, in an article from Technocracy um, that is titled Masks are neither effective nor safe um, they, they say they ask the question are masks effective at preventing transmission of respiratory pathogens and the face masks were found to have um, no detectable effect against transmission of virus infections one it found uh, compared to no masks there was no reduction in flu-like illnesses <coughs> excuse me flu-like illness cases or um, influenza for masks in general population nor in healthcare workers. So it, it just, it didn't make any difference uh, when it came to the flu. The masks didn't, any kind of mask for that matter. And a 2020 meta-analysis found that evidence from randomized control trials of face masks did not support a substantial effect on transmission of laboratory-confirmed influenza, either when worn by infected persons or by persons in the general community to reduce their susceptibility. So it doesn't prevent you from spreading it, and it doesn't prevent you from getting it, in other words. So, I mean, another recent review, according to the article, found that masks had no effect specifically against COVID-19. We're not even talking about influenza. They're talking specifically about COVID-19, that the studies and analysis show that it didn't have any effect on that. Now, how can it even maybe harm others by wearing a mask as opposed to basically just being benign? Well... You have what, ha- what, what happens when you wear these masks is you get what's called a jetting. It's these, these leakage jets of air where it's not sealed on your face. And it actually comes out at a higher rate than normally when you're just breathing. The article says that uh, all masks were thought to reduce airflow by 90% or more over wearing no mask. However, they found that um, through imaging that it showed that both surgical masks and cloth masks had uh, farther brow jets, which is an unfiltered upward airflow past the eyebrows, when not wearing a mask, then when not wearing a mask at all. So in other words, you get a a higher um, uh, velocity of these aerosols being sprayed around you from your breathing than just not wearing a mask at all because they're being forced through. I mean, obviously you guys know how water goes through a pipe. You force it through a smaller, uh, a smaller opening, the velocity increases. So that's what's happening as you're breathing through these masses, masks. And not only for the surgical, that's the surgical and the, the cloth mask, but also for the N95 and surgical mask. It was found that they expelled particles um, at 0.03 to 0.1 microns, and they were all deflected around the edges of the mask. Because oftentimes, the only way an N95 mask is 95% effective is if it's properly fitted and sealed around your face. And most people are not doing that. Okay, not to mention, these particles actually penetrate through the mask, not just through jetting. Okay, a study of 44 mask brands found an average of 35.6% penetration. So, I mean, even though you're breathing, you're getting jetting, and while you're getting jetting and squirting that further, your aerosols further than you normally would breathing, in addition to that, 30 up to an average of 35% of those aerosols are making it through the masks. So, and that's of 44 different brands. Okay, so uh, I mean, most medical masks, they had over 20% penetration, while general masks and handkerchiefs, you know, like the cloth ones and the surgical ones, they had zero protective function in terms of aerosol filtration. 
Now, it may be helpful to remember that an aerosol, um, according to the articles, what they call it is a colloidal suspension of liquid or solid particles in gas, which is basically to say micro droplets. You're breathing and it's this fine mist that's carried in the gases that you're expelling, carbon dioxide and oxygen and whatnot into the air. So that stuff passes through the mask at an average rate of 35% with surgical and medical grade masks. The stuff that most people are wearing, the t-shirts, the hankies and the cloth masks do zero. They block almost nothing. Okay. So in another study, the penetration of cloth masks by particles was almost 97%. Just so you know, 97%. Now back to N95 respirators again, um, Honeywell is a big manufacturer of these and they're made with a 0.3 micron filter. So N95 respirators are so named because 95% of the particles um, having a diameter of 0.3 microns or, or bigger are filtered by the mask um, in forward of the wearer. So through the wearer, right um, in front of the, the wearer's mouth. Uh, so and they use kind of an electrostatic mechanism to help with this. Well, coronaviruses are approximately 0.125 microns in diameter. Now I try. They, I know they try to say, well, it's droplets. We're getting the droplets. What happens when the droplets? Um, <laughs> evaporate and you're left with this on your mask and you have a positive and negative pressure. What happens if it's not sealed properly and air is coming in and out? So you see, they're just not that effective. So th in this, this, this one for, um, study for the N95, the meta-analysis found that the N95 respirators did not provide superior protection to face masks against viral infections or flu-like infections. So this study did find superior protection in N95 respirators when they were fit tested compared to surgical masks. But this study found that 624 out of 714 people wearing N95 masks left visible gaps when putting on their masks. So they weren't putting them on right and they just weren't going to be that effective. Surgical masks, I know what you're saying. Well, they've got to be better than cloth masks. But the study found that surgical masks, they offered no protection at all against um, influenza. And another study found that surgical masks had about an 85% penetration ratio of aerosolized inactivated influenza particles and about 90% of staph. That's bacteria. Bacteria was penetrating these things as well. All right. So the use of masks in surgery, like these surgical masks, they were found to actually slightly increase the incidence of infection over not masking in a study of uh, a little over 3,000 surgeries. The surgeon's masks were found to give no protective effect to the patients. So not only were they not protecting themselves, again, you're not protecting the patient. You're not actually protecting grandma or grandpa by wearing a mask. The reality is, guys, these surgical masks and the gowns and everything they wear, they're not to protect against viral infection or anything else. They're to protect from foreign bodies like hair and sweat and other droplets from falling off of your person, off the, sur the, the surgeon's person into an open body cavity. That's what these things are for. Now, specifically, are surgical masks effective in stopping human transmission of coronaviruses? Well, according to the article, both experimental and control groups, masked and unmasked respectively, were found to not shed detectable virus in respiratory droplets or aerosols. So in that study, they uh, did not confirm the, ineffect the um, infectivity of coronavirus as found in exhaled breath. So uh, uh, continuing on with this, I know this is a lot of information and I'm trying to get it out there. Um, masks working against COVID-19, we've heard about bacteria, we've heard about the flu, a little bit about COVID, but in uh, the New England Journal of Medicine, in an editorial on the topic of mask use versus uh, COVID-19, uh, they, they say this, they said, we know that wearing a mask outside healthcare facilities offers little 
if any, protection from infection. This is the New England Journal of Medicine, guys. Public health authorities define a significant exposure to COVID-19 as face-to-face contact within six feet with a patient with symptomatic COVID-19 that is sustained for at least a few minutes, and some say more than 10 minutes or even 20 minutes. And if the chance... um, uh, the chance of ca- of catching COVID-19 from a passing interaction in public space is therefore minimal. Yeah, guys, the chances that you're just going to get this casually, this is sounding more and more like the flu, isn't it? Look, I'm not playing down the effects or if you've had somebody who's had it or even lost somebody who's had COVID-19. I'm not playing any of that down. But we need to come to grips with the reality, really let cooler heads prevail and start getting back to a normal life here, guys, because the the cure is becoming much worse uh, than the disease itself. To go even further than this with masks, um, are masks safe? I mean, surgical mask wearers has significantly increased dyspnea after six-minute walk as opposed to non-mask wearers. Now, researchers, according to the article, are concerned about possible burden of face mastering physical activity on pulmonary, circulatory, and immune systems due to oxygen reduction and air trapping reduction. Um, I'm sorry, air trap, trapping reducing substantial carbon dioxide exchange. In other words, you're not expelling enough carbon dioxide and taking in enough oxygen. The result of uh, hypercapnia of that, the result of that is that there may be cardiac overload, renal overload, and a shift to metabolic acidosis. In other words, this is not good for you. You're not meant to be breathing through a mask all every day, especially when doing physical exercise. Now, I had an issue myself where I was doing work on a ladder. I was in an area with a lot of people, so I was asked to wear a mask. I did. It was hot. It was outside. I have a beard. My mask, it was a surgical mask. It got so soaked, I could barely breathe through it anymore. I began to uh, actually pass out. I started getting that kind of tunnel vision where my eyes started darkening and I was 12 feet off the ground on a ladder. Guys, I had to rip the mask off quickly and grab onto the ladder and hold onto it and breathe deep and slow to make sure I didn't pass out and fall to the ground. So it's really not a good idea to be wearing these when exercising. I know we've got doctors out there that say, look, I'll run a half marathon with one on. That's fine. It may work for you, but the data doesn't show that. It doesn't mean it's like that for every single person, but in general, it's not a good idea. So, uh, there are, even the surgical masks, guys, healthcare workers, surgical masks, they were measured in a lot of these studies here in this meta-analysis. And uh, the surgical masks, they were found to be a a repository of bacterial contamination. And so were the cloth masks. I mean, they get wet, they breed bacteria, you're aspirating all of that bacteria. Not to mention, if you have viruses, you're creating a viral load in your own mask that you're then re-inhaling. This is just not healthy. It's just not good for you. And the study found that um, surgeons uh, were found to have lower oxygen saturation after the surgeries, even as short as 30 minutes. Um, healthcare workers wearing cloth masks had significantly higher rates of influenza-like illness after four weeks of continuous on-the-job use. They're just not good for you to be wearing. So we need to kind of weigh the risks versus the benefits here. And that, that's what the, the article kind of closes with. It says the use of face masks, whether cloth, surgical, or N95, creates a poor obstacle to aerosolized pathogens, as we can see from the meta-analyzers. So not to, on top of that, you have um, inadequate oxygen exchange. Um, it, it's, it's unhealthy for you. It's not good for you. You're breathing in a lot of carbon dioxide. You're bringing in bacteria. 
So the bottom line is masks should not be used by the general public, they conclude in this article, either by adults or children, and their limitations as prophylaxis against pathogens should be considered in medical settings. So you can see that they're just not safe. Cloth masks especially. I have an article here from Science Daily uh, talking about the widespread use of cloth masks by healthcare workers. They did a study in the penetration. Again, like we talked about, the penetration of cloth masks by particles was almost 97%. So cloth masks, just not a good idea. Um, there, there were quotes in here uh, where they said, despite more than half the world using cloth masks, global disease control guidelines, including from the World Health Organization, failed to clearly specify conditions of their use. So the authors of the article, they speculated that cloth mask moisture retention, the reuse and poor filtration may explain the increased risk of infection from using these types of masks. So uh, there's a lot of information on masks out there because it's a big deal. And there's a lot of doctors who don't want to die on this hill. I totally get it. Um, and there's a reason for me going there down the mask aisle with this because I, I don't really care about masks one way or the other. Wear a mask if you want to wear a mask. If you don't, don't. Um, but just stay with me here. Okay. Um, in regards to the masks as well, uh, we're currently recording, we recorded a low, record low influenza um, this year. Experts are trying to say that it's because the precautions taken to prevent the spread of coronavirus that have dropped that down. But then in the same breath, they say that the number of coronavirus cases has increased. I mean, it can't be both. Either the precautions work or they don't. If it works for influenza, it should be working for COVID-19. But we're seeing the exact opposite. At least they're saying the opposite. I mean, in places like California, where we've been masking for how many months now, we have the highest rates of cases, highest number of cases, second highest, I think, of deaths. I mean, it's ridiculous. If they work, why is it working? If lockdowns work, why is it working for California? They keep pointing to these other states, but the reality that, well, they're opening up. Look at they're spiking. They're worse. No, they're not. California's the worst, or one of them. And we have the most regulations. So what, what's the answer? It can't, the answer can't be both. I mean, it just can't. Either it works or it doesn't. But the evidence has really pointed to the fact they, they just don't work. The experts know that lockdowns don't work. It's becoming far more a political issue. So um, there's an article on this in here from UPI. I'll put a link in the, in the description. You can read that. But time and again, um, we even hear, like I said before, this anecdotal evidence of a family or a friend who did everything they were supposed to, wore the mask, and they, they washed their hands, and they social distanced, and yet they still got it, and they wonder why. Um, well, which leads me to the next, the next issue. They could have gotten it from surfaces, right? Well, probably not. I have an article here from WebMD, and despite its presenting uh, mask wearing, um, the mask wearing opinion as fact, and I mean, look, if you find somebody, there's lots of people out there saying masks work well, that's fine. But it, understand, it's their opinion based upon the data. It's not a fact, and it's not settled, settled uh, science, by the way. So read some of the previous articles I put, or just go back and listen to this podcast again. But anyway, the WebMD article, it states that there is little evidence that it spreads on surfaces. And uh, in fact, they go on to say that, uh, I mean, if you guys, if you remember back in, in March, April, whatever it was, I mean, people were going nuts buying hand sanitizer, cleanser, everything. You couldn't find this stuff on the shelves. Right, but the article it says um, when it comes to surfaces, uh, it is it is theoretically possible, but highly unlikely, says Dean Bloomberg, MD, chief of pediatric infectious disease at UC Davis Children's Hospital. He said, and I quote, "You'd need a unique sequence of events." 
So the article says that first someone would need to get a large enough amount of the virus on a surface to cause infection. Then the virus would need to survive long enough for you to touch the surface and get some on your hands. Then without washing your hands, you would need to touch your eyes, nose, or mouth, provided you have enough of that virus on your hand to begin with. So researchers have found that the coronavirus, it can stay alive on surfaces. But the problem is the results of the studies like this one, they've kind of been politicized and people have exaggerated it as even though it survives on surfaces, um, it, 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 the risk of COVID-19 transmission on surfaces is very low. So uh, um, we have another here, uh, Emmanuel Goldman, PhD. He's a professor of microbiology and biochemistry and molecular genetics at the New Jersey Medical School of Rutgers University. So again, these are legitimate doctors, all right, um, saying these things, not quacks or anything else, because I brought stuff like this up before and right away people, I, I was told by guys like, oh, well, yeah. Well, I told them, I said, I can provide you as many as many um, experts that say masks don't work and none of these things work and these we need to go back to normal doing this. And he just looked at me and goes, yeah, what, like flat earthers? They always resort to calling names. That's very close-minded. You need to look at both sides. This is the other side you're not hearing on the mainstream media. So this Dr. Goldman, he says, in my opinion, the chance of transmission through an inanimate surface is very small. And only in instances where an infected person coughs or sneezes on the surface and someone else touches that surface soon after the cough or sneeze, like within one to two hours. Goldman wrote, basically, it would take the perfect combination of events that Bloomberg described to get sick from touching something contaminated with the virus. Also, studies have proved that the virus stays alive on surfaces, not that you can, but not that you can catch it from touching those surfaces. They don't prove that just because it can survive on a surface, it can be transmitted that way. Matter of fact, quite the opposite. It can survive on a surface, the studies are showing, but likely isn't transmitted on surfaces. And in May, the CDC updated their website reflecting this data. How many of you guys went out and looked at it? Probably not a whole lot, and you sure as heck didn't hear it on the mainstream media. The conclusion of the article, look, keep your surroundings clean, but don't go overboard with the disinfecting. I don't think the benefits are worth the effort, says Dean Bloomberg. So moving on from the surfaces, let's move on to this idea that you're just, it's a death sentence. I mean, we've all seen people, well, maybe not all of us, but I have, where they've gotten it or they've had a family member get it. And you would think that that's it. They're getting ready to have their last meal and walk down to the gas chamber. I mean, it's absolutely unbelievable. And most of these people have ended up having mild to no symptoms. All right. I'm not saying that everybody, that's how everybody is. I'm not trying to play it down. I'm not by any means, but I'm not trying to play down the flu either. We all kind of scoff at the flu, but the reality is the flu, it's a deadly virus. Absolutely a deadly virus. Okay. So, um, I have a Breitbart article here and I, I know, uh, a lot of people are skeptical about Breitbart. They think, well, this alt-right article. It's actually, they're pretty good. But if you don't like them, that's fine. They do provide a link, though, to the CDC study that they talk about here. And so you can look it up yourself. But the bottom line is, um, you have the, uh, the CDC's new IFR estimates. And um, that stands, by the way, for, uh, it's a true fatality rate. And what does it stand for? It stands for, i got to find it here. Sorry about that. Um, I can't remember what it stands for. Um, but IFR something fatality rate. Um, it's, 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 it's estimates broken down by age in this new CDC report and then different scenarios. Well, based on scenario five in this report, uh, which is the current best estimate, uh, for the, um, IFR, 
Um, that's the fatality rate. Breitbart News confirmed that the updated age-specific survival rates are this. From 0 to 19 years old, the survival rate is 99.997%. From 20 to 49-year-olds, uh, the, the survival rate is 99.98%. And for 50 to 69-year-olds, it's 99.5%. At 70 years old or older, it goes down to 94.6% survivability. Still pretty high. And to be honest with you, if you go and look, these rates aren't that much different than the, than, than the flu, okay? Um, except that the flu actually kills more children than this does far more, okay? So that means that for people 69 years or, old, or younger, the survival rate is between 99.5% and 99.997%. While for those 70 or older, it's estimated at 94.6. So um, the bottom line is, um, the IFR, as the article says, or true fatality rate, accounts for all infected individuals, asymptomatic and symptomatic. And they use this because the case fatality rate, it also includes confirmed cases um, and does not really include everybody in here. So the IFR tends to be uh, lower and is considered more accurate because it's more comprehensive representation of the death rate. But anyway, um, goes on to say that out of the five scenarios mentioned in the CD's document, they're meant to help inform decisions by public health officials and help them evaluate the potential effects of different community mitigation strategies. But of course, when things like this come out, you have people like Governor Gavin Newsom who says, well, we're going to believe our own experts. He doesn't want to believe anybody else because it doesn't fit the narrative that he's trying to frame. So when you think about these odds and the survival rates and the odds of dying, they're actually pretty darn low, guys. I mean, extremely low. The bottom line is, if you go and look at your chances of dying from other things, and some of these things aren't preventable. I mean, so maybe some cancers are, but a lot of them aren't. But I mean, heart diseases are prevent is preventable oftentimes, and your chances of dying that are one in six. Cancer is one in seven. All preventable causes of death, so just accidents, whatever, things you could prevent uh, from, I'm not even accidents, things you could prevent yourself from dying. You're one in 25 chance that you're going to die of something that you can prevent. I mean, honestly, uh, I, 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 I mean, car accidents, you, uh, you, could, um, you could die in. Uh, I, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, right? I mean, a motor vehicle crash, you're looking at one in 106. Well, we can bring that down to zero by simply outlawing cars. But we don't because we allow you to decide how much the benefit you get from the risk and let you make the decision rather than deciding for you because that's liberty you get to weigh the cost to benefit and and decide for yourself so you can see yeah i mean honestly i'm middle-aged about four i'm 45 some of my age there's a, a greater chance that i'm gonna die in a car accident driving to work than that i'm going to die from covid19 sars cov2 whatever you want to call it so, I mean, you know, compare these odds that I gave you um, to, to, to the odds of dying from these other, these other preventable means. Um, keep in mind also that the CDC, the CDC says that only 6% of the deaths that as of August um, 2020 can be attributed to COVID alone. So only 6% of all the COVID deaths, 220,000, whatever, whatever they're at now, 245,000, I don't know where we're at exactly. Only 6% of those deaths are actually to COVID alone. There's something like two and a half other comorbidities, serious comorbidities that go along with the other deaths. So they had COVID. It may have exacerbated their other issue or they may have simply died from these other issues with COVID. But only 6% of those total deaths are actually attributable, sorry about that, to COVID alone with nothing else. 
So that brings us down to a very small number of people dying from COVID alone. But um, I mean, you can see how how, how the media really misrepresents this death toll. And I have a New York Post article here. Um, and it, it, it starts out by saying, on September 22nd, CNN triumphantly announced that 200,000 people had died from COVID-19 in the United States. CNN tries various ways of rubbing in the 200,000 figure. Their best effort was an infographic blaring, U.S. COVID deaths are equal to having the 9-11 attacks every day for 66 days. But here's a less biased, less catchy comparison that New York, the New York Post has on here. They said 2020 is attributed uh, COVID-19 deaths were equivalent to having another 2017-2018 flu season, uh, flu and pneumonia season that was boosted again by 13%. So COVID-19 was really like the flu and pneumonia season of 17 and 18, boosted by 13%. So the CDC estimated, and get this, Roughly 177,000 Americans died in the 17-18 flu season from either the flu itself or complications of pneumonia. Now, the CDC never made a public announcement about this number, but you can count it yourself from data on its site. Um, And that was a bad year. And it was noted at the time, but mostly only by medical professionals. Those with good memories will recall seeing more wash your hands and cough into your elbows posters. That's right. I remember seeing those. Those were up all over the place, uh, but still no rem- nobody remembers shutdowns and panic and hysteria and mask mandates, political leaders sh- giving curfews and everything else. No. And by the way, this link is in there too. You can go look at this CDC data for yourself. It's all there, folks. How about getting reinfected? Those of you who think, well, maybe if I've already gotten it, I, can, I can't get it again, or maybe I can get it again, and I'm scared because they're hearing uh, reports that maybe sometimes the second time it's worse. Well, as of this podcast... There are nearly 65 million uh, cases of COVID worldwide. Now, that's recorded cases. The CDC claims that the numbers in the U.S. alone could be 10 times higher than the recorded cases because a lot of them are unreported um, or that people have mild or symptoms or are asymptomatic. But let's just deal with the actual recorded cases. There's nearly 65 million of those worldwide. How many recorded cases of reinfection out of those 65 million? Well, the numbers vary, but a Dutch news agency, uh, BNO, has been tracking it, and they have the number at, wait for it, drum roll please, as of October 16th, the number of recorded reinfections was 25 out of 65 million. Now, in light of this data, you know, I'm really trying my darndest to understand why anyone anyone would even bring to the table the idea of mandatory vaccination. I mean, aside from the communist implications of requiring a vaccination certificate to travel as a lot of these, or an application that proves that as a lot of these airlines are trying to uh, trying to develop, it's just, it's disgusting, it's wrong, it needs to be stopped immediately. Um, or, or not even be able to shop or do anything n- necessary to life if you can't get a vaccine or have some kind of certification. Well, uh, I, I mean, yeah, there's some serious implications with that, all right? The, the, the biggest thing, though, is why don't I get the right to decide how I affect my own health? And what do I mean by this? Well, let me just say that I, I, I don't put version one of a software on my computer, so I sure as heck am not going to put version one of a vaccine in my body. I mean, where are all of the my body, my choice feminist activists on this? I mean, an unborn baby isn't actually their body. So that phrase doesn't really apply to what they're doing, what they're advocating for. But in the case of the vaccine, it is 100% appropriate. Look, I don't judge you if you take the vaccine. I don't care. 
take it, please. If you want to, do it. If you feel comfortable with it, I'm not going to stop you. Again, if you look at the data and you believe that the benefit outweighs the risk for you, then by all means, take it. Or if you don't want to look at the data and take it anyway, that's fine too. It's your right to do. But I expect you to do the same for me. So if I decide not to take it, then I shouldn't be ostracized from basic living because of this choice. The conclusion to all this, that's a bit of a long conclusion, but there are references and additional articles. I'll tell you, they're contained um, within each of the articles that I, I, I just, I'm going to put links to. So please uh, look into this yourself. Note that while the left likes to purport uh, that they are science purists all the time and that we are science deniers, they really fail to do so in this case. And, and while they claim to follow the science, I'm doing air quotes here. There is no air quotes. Again, the science. There is no the science. Science in and of itself, it, it's, it's the act of making observations, collecting data, and then a lot of people and experts and uh, they, they sit around and examine the data and they argue over what the data means. Eventually, finally, they reach a consensus, sometimes taking years and even or even decades or more, and the science bar gets moved up one small notch. That's how science works, guys. In light of this, you can find experts whose opinions differ from those contained in these articles and studies that I, I, I've just read to you. By all means, I'm not saying mine's the only viewpoint. My point in showing this is to demonstrate that there are other opinions on the data. It's not settled. Nobody really knows for sure. There are some things we know, though. We can already see the results that lockdowns don't work. We can already see the results that masks aren't good for you and they don't work. This is just observable data. <coughs> the, the, it's not that masks may not make you feel better and make you feel safer. That's fine if they do wear one. It's okay. But the government shouldn't be making you do it and you sure as heck shouldn't be bullying your fellow neighbor into wearing them as well. Period. And in light of this, there's no basis for these constant government lockdowns, shutdowns, and mandates. Nor is there a basis for businesses and airlines to mandate any of these restrictions either. What then do we do? Well, I say we exercise our liberty. And I think uh, you can kind of see a common theme of personal liberty throughout my podcast. Personal liberty doesn't mean that you can do whatever you want. Um, of course, there is a standard that we have to hold society to and that we need to agree upon. And I've talked about this. And in the beginning of this pandemic, we were, all of us, we were all in the dark. We didn't know what to expect. So we all went along with these things. But as we've learned more, it seems that rather than moving in a positive direction, we've continued to move backwards, even doubling down on these draconian measures that have proven far worse than the disease itself. Uh, and that's tr true. I mean, we, I mean, suicides are hitting record numbers. Um, domestic violence, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, all these things as a result of these lockdowns and no work and, and, and the mass wearing. I mean, just, it's just horrible. You're destroying people's minds and their lives for this. What we need is a balanced approach, and that's what good leadership does. And that's what we were seeing from Trump, but it's the state politicians that are causing this. At the end of the day, look, I should be able to look at the data, you look at the data, and each of us makes a decision that's best for ourselves and our families. The decisions may be different, and you have no right to make me wear a mask any more than I have a right to demand that you not wear one so that we can reach herd immunity. We each do what's best for ourselves, and we respect each other's opinions on the subject. That doesn't mean you have to celebrate my decision. In fact, you can think I'm a total flippin' idiot. That's fine. But that is actually what tolerance is, guys. 
not the leftist idea of tolerance where you have to not only accept their opinion, but raise their banner and march in a parade. Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me tell you a story here. Um, when my daughters were little, I, I have two daughters. Um, they were outside playing. And uh, my youngest, she had made this homemade kite. And it was actually just a piece of paper cut into a kite shape, kind of a diamond. And uh, she had taped a piece of dental floss to it. So she had like four or five feet of dental floss connected with this diamond-shaped piece of paper hanging out the back. Anyway, she was running around uh, with this so-called kite. And it was twisting and turning and flopping around at the end of the dental floss as she sprinted down the street. And uh, she ran by the neighbor's house, and who happened to be in the front yard at the time. And this piece of paper tapped the neighbor's truck. Uh, that was parked in the driveway. The neighbor yelled at my daughter and she scolded her for letting this kite slash paper hit the front of her truck. Um, But my daughter was pretty upset and she came home and uh, she told me what happened. I think she kind of really expected me, you know, I'm her dad, her hero, to march on over there and put this neighbor in her place and yell at her and defend my daughter. And, you know, I I listened to her and I asked her a few questions to clarify and I looked at what she had, the, the, the paper, you know, kite, whatever it was. And uh, then to her surprise, I think she was pretty shocked, I sided with the neighbor. I I explained to her that while I thought the neighbor's behavior was ridiculous and way out of line and way over the top, that she still had a right to do and say what she wanted when it came to her own property. She wasn't affecting anyone else. She wasn't saying that you couldn't, you know, pull your kite around anyone else's vehicles. She was simply demanding that you respect her opinions (coughs) when it came to her own property. And that, dear audience, is what tolerance is. I didn't agree with the neighbor, but it's her property. She's not making me do what she wants me to do. She's just asking that I respect her boundaries, her property, and her opinions. I don't have to agree with them. I just have to respect them. That's fine. That is tolerance. Okay, so... What does is, what is all this mean? Let's wrap this up here because I've run a little long on time, but what does all this mean in light of the current pandemic? Well, you might laugh at this, but in light of everything we've learned about the coronavirus so far, about masks, about social distancing, about the survival rate, we've learned more about how to treat it. Um, it really means we simply go back to normal. Yeah, you heard me right. Restaurants, movie theaters, even airlines, back to normal. Like it, like it never happened. If you feel that you're too much at risk, then you simply don't go to any venue where you feel that you might be at risk. You don't go out to eat. You don't go to a restaurant, order Uber Eats. Don't go to the movie theater, rent it, you know, rent it via streaming instead. You're doing all these things right now anyway. So the reality is that life wouldn't change for you. What you're trying to do or what these people are trying to do is make everybody else experience and embrace you, their own irrational fear. Should the government strive to keep the public informed? Absolutely. That's their job. And that is, you know, the extent to what it should be doing at this point, to be really honest with you, they shouldn't be doing anything else. But it also should not skew the data. And the government's been doing that quite a bit with the help of the media. Uh, I mean, it's almost criminal what the media has done. It needs to present both sides and let the individual make up their own minds. But I think we can all see this pandemic It's been weaponized by certain political groups, uh, leaders, what have you, and it's being harnessed to achieve an agenda. But, I mean, that's kind of a topic for a different day, so I don't want to start birdwalking on that. Um, But, you know, 
I'm going to have to close it here because they've gone on for quite a while. I hope this helped. I hope you go and research things for yourself. I encourage you to please, please stop being so afraid. It's really not necessary. You don't have to be so afraid. Be smart. Be cautious. That's fine. But don't be afraid. Have courage. Exercise your liberty. And hey, if you're afraid, man, that's your right. But don't impose your fear, like I said, and your opinions on your neighbors. And by all means, if you agree with what I'm saying here, please find others who feel the same way. I can't stand alone in this and neither can you. We need to be with others so we're not bullied into submission, which seems to be happening. So I'm going to go ahead and leave this right here. Um, I'm going to let you do with it as you will. Research it yourself. Look into it. Don't take my word for it. I'll put the links in here. Go look at it. Don't take the article's words for it. Look at the, the research that they cite as well. Look at all sides, by the way. Don't just look at this side. Look at the other side, although you've probably already heard it because it's all the mainstream media blasts. But look at all opinions and make an informed decision that works best for you. Until next time, God bless you guys and God bless America.